0: Fascinated me. I'm going to go ahead and start, if that's okay. Yeah, that's great. The thing that fascinated me about you guys is I started listening to Christian music, like rock, alternative, whatever you want to call it, in about 86. So my first thing was like, and I don't know if you know these bands or not, because I know you were a little bit before, <clears throat> but like One Bad Pig. Um, you know, a lot of punk rock and stuff like that, The Altar Boys, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that, mm-hmm. um, The Call. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, basically, I'm going to be completely honest with you, until about a month ago, I had no idea that you guys or After the Fire or any of those guys were doing new wave pop as far back as the eighties and the seventies. Um, and I got really fascinated by that. I started listening to the albums. I started like doing some research and such. And I was like, I do interviews with musicians and stuff. I'm going to, I'm going to try to talk to these guys and see, you know, get some background on what they did and how they went about doing it. Um, and what it was like, you know, (laughs) I mean, because, That's way before, in my opinion, the Christian alternative rock was cool. You know, it was still, you know, it was still like a pioneering kind of thing. Um, But yeah, go ahead and introduce yourself. Act like, you know, I don't know who you are and give us a little background on yourself and what you're about.
1: Okay. Uh, well, my name is Dale Dirksen. Um, I have a very diverse background, including uh, being a musician for a job for about six or seven years of my life. And that would have been about 1970, late 70s to mid 80s. Um, part of that included uh doing some solo recording and touring solo. Some of it included working with bands. The two bands I played the most with were Quick Flight and Steve Taylor, played with some bands, Steve Taylor's band, not for very long, uh, did a, a tour and a couple of other dates. Quick Flight, uh, I was part of uh, from about 1980-ish uh, till when the band stopped playing music, which would have been 1984. And uh, but I knew uh, I grew up with the guys in Quick Flight, so uh, we were friends as kids. Um, Went our separate ways for a while in the very very early '80s, late '70s, and then I kind of rejoined that those guys in that band in I think 1981. So uh, that was that. Uh, I left the the music world actually thinking I would probably never play music again. Lots of lots of interesting circumstances around that, and um, believe it or not, I when I was touring, I was uh, working and living at a camp that was on the edge of Vancouver, BC, Canada, a horse camp. So I was riding horses on the weekend, or when I was off the road and touring and playing, you know, kind of not cowboy music (laughs) uh, on the road, which was uh, an interesting contrast. But uh, I just really fell in love with working with staff and kids and. Uh, so I ended up moving into that world uh, out of the music industry, thought I would do that the rest of my life, did it for relatively uh, short time and then ended up in Oregon and uh, as a worship pastor at a church there, um, which was a surprise to me. Almost all of these things are a surprise to me. Uh, I didn't really ever have goals and you know dreams that I was, this is what I was going to be when I grow up. Not still not sure what that is, um, but um, ended up in a church. And when I went to that church, they said, we would like you to transition our kind of more conservative 1950s style of music to a vineyard. And at the time, I didn't know what vineyard was. And I didn't know really a lot about even what worship pastors did. But they were pretty determined that I was going to be that. And so I was. And I did that for seven years. And it was a wonderful experience. Um, out of there, I ended up teaching. So I taught at a college and eventually most of my teaching investment was at a grad school, a seminary in in Canada. And um, then I went out of that into more church ministry and found myself in the role of executive pastor, which is another bit of a surprise, but uh, did 10 years at that. And that was also good. That ended uh, a year ago. And since then, I've been teaching adjunct part-time. I have a coaching practice. So I work with leaders in um, executive coaching and other kinds of stuff and i've been able to make i think four recording projects since quick flight and uh, so i still get to do that um surprise surprise Uh, a couple of the records i did were picked up by somebody in the states to distribute and ended up paying for my doctorate so me got to got to keep doing it that's that's me in a nutshell i've uh i'm married i have two daughters and four grandchildren one on the way
0: all right. All right. Um, so when I saw the coaching, cause I did a little research, I was thinking coaching, like you were coaching like at a school or something. So you're more of a like business type coach, like executive business coach.
1: Yeah. So executive, executive coaching is, uh, focused more on higher level leaders. Um, that's, just simple as that. A lot of pastors really function as executives in their church. They're responsible right. for how the how the organization runs. So I do work with some pastoral leaders um, and some regular leaders in the regular world. Coaching is, uh, there's a lot of misunderstanding if you think about sports and stuff. So coaching really is not about telling people what to do. It's actually about helping people, helping people find their own way and I uh, did my training at Royal Roads University in Victoria, uh, Canada, which is one of the one of the at the time it was one of the best coach training programs in the world, um, and I love it.
0: Excellent. Okay. All right. Um, we'll get to what you're doing now in a little bit. Um, <laughs> so, am I to understand that you weren't originally with the band when they started?
1: Um. Technically no, okay. but, um, in high school, I played with most of the guys from quick flight briefly in a band called Malachi. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. uh, not quick flight. Although if you look at the quick flight, the first quick flight record, so I wasn't on that record. I did some work with the, some of those tunes after the fact, but they, there's a guy standing with his back to the camera, holding a briefcase. Uh, that happens to me that my younger brother, I actually have that briefcase around here somewhere. So I've been connected with the band a lot over the years, but no, it wasn't on that first record.
0: Okay. So you didn't play on Breakaway? Nope. The first one. Okay. All right. Nope. Um, do you, how did you get into the band? It sounds like you knew the guys. So let's Come start on. from when you got into it. Where were um, they? Where were they career wise when you got into it?
1: Right. So I was, uh, I was touring Uh, solo. I was working with an actor and we were doing a lot of uh, comedy, music, drama type of stuff. We did uh, 200 dates in eight months, pretty much the corners of North America. And uh, that was getting tiring. And it was a lot of small stuff and and a lot of churches. And that was good, but I just felt like I needed something else. So I was talking with Rick. So Rick DeGroot's part of Quick Flight one day and said, you know, I think I need to do something else. And he says, well, I think we need to reinvent Quick Flight a bit and maybe... um, Maybe add another keyboard player, so we'd have more of a keyboard focus. And I said, I think that sounds like a thing that I'd like to do. And so, uh, I mean, Rick and I knew each other really well. We'd played in other bands before, in in addition to that one in high school. Uh, and so, um, I left that solo touring thing or music drama thing and went over, moved to Vancouver, and uh, joined Quick Flight. And at the time Quick Flight was playing some. And I, I mean, I've been around quick flight a lot. We, I actually sold quick flight records off the stage when I was touring with the actor guy. And, but, but quick flight had, was kind of at a bit of a crossroad. No one had, they they hadn't been able to really make a living uh, as musicians at that point, partly because in Canada, you, you, there's just not not enough work for a Christian band. Right. So one one of the things that was going to happen was, uh, Quick Flight was going to start playing in clubs and dance clubs primarily. And at that time, it was actually very very controversial in the church to do that. Uh, we were we were uh, nationally banned from any church work, uh, and we we'd done stuff in our churches up to that point, and we were kind of summarily booted out for the decision to play in nightclubs and but that's what we did. So we spent an entire summer practicing to learn how to be a bar band, which is funny because we were really Bible college boys and never really understood the, the club culture, the dance club culture, the bar culture. I mean, it was a completely foreign thing to us really. Uh, but we did. And we uh, ended up hooked up with a guy with a manager who at the time managed Hart and Nick Gilder. So why he took on us, I don't know. I guess he thought we had something to offer. Uh, we were not nearly, of course. Nick Gilder and Hart—you've you, probably heard of Hart, anyway. <laughs> yeah, I know
0: Hart. Definitely, yes.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, uh, and so we we just played for a year. We played sometimes twelve weeks straight. We'd play six nights in a row, travel, play another six nights, and it's grueling uh, and not particularly—I don't think for us spiritually, but especially being abandoned, you know, by our churches. But um, it was really good for us learning how to play. So, um, and it really impacted stuff. Uh, Not a lot of writing out of that time ended up on the Decent Beat record, but Metro Alien, which is the one lead vocal I did on the Quick Flight record, was composed in one of those bars that was kind of learn, pay your dues. Uh, We had unpleasant names for these places and these bars, but it was in Kitimat, BC. You can Google that. That's in the middle of nowhere and that's where Metro Alien was written. (laughs) So it was a, I mean, it was a, Lots of things about that time that were good, lots of things that were bad, but it was very formative. And we played top 40. We'd never done that before and really learned how to play. Um, That's um, one of the things, as I've worked with a lot of other musicians, especially Christian musicians. You know, a lot of times Christian musicians start writing and playing their own stuff when they're 14. Uh, regular people play other people's stuff until they're really kind of mature enough. And so that's what happened to us during that time. So Quick Flight went from being a play a few gigs a year uh, to being full-time professional musicians. And and that's what happened during when, when I joined the band. Okay, Um, Yeah. And we were signed, we were signed to uh, a guy named Bob Brooks who owned a company called Signature Productions. And he also owned Little Mountain Sound Studio, which was probably the top studio in Canada at the time. Mm-hmm. and he gave us unlimited studio time. So it was epic. And I mean, just to give you a sense of this, Little Mountain is a mirror studio. So there's two identical studios side by side. And we right. were working in this one doing doing recording. And while we did the Decent Beat record, on the other side, um, Brian Adams did a record, Nazareth, um, some Canadian bands like um, Rock and Hyde, Paola's... Uh, Motley Crue did the Doctor Feelgood record. Um, oh wow! Those all happened in that studio while we were doing the decent B record. Um, okay, and uh, so we were really fortunate to have that opportunity. Um, and then we ended up we were we were looking uh, considering some stuff with Capitol Records, so that wouldn't have been Christian and Star Song Records, which was Christian. We ended up leaning towards Star Song and you know our stuff isn't overtly christian uh so it um it played well in lots of places right uh, so i mean that's that's i guess that's hopefully that answers your question
0: right so when you say that the capital stuff wouldn't have been christian versus star song mm-hmm. was that a for you guys was that like a hard decision like and what i mean by hard decision is it was was it a line in the sand or was it, you just meant that you weren't going to be able to push the Christianity the same way you would on star song?
1: Um, no, no, actually, probably neither of those. Our, our, uh, we never pushed. In right. fact, we got, we got in trouble doing Christian gigs, especially in the U S because we just didn't push. We played music and um yeah so I mean we got accused of a lot of things because we didn 't do the the pushy stuff right. um, the The difference between capital and star song was um wasn 't at all religious it was it, with capital we would have been a very very small fish in a really big pond okay okay and we I think we felt like you know the chances of this even going anywhere are really slight with star song uh so a couple of the the guys who were execs, probably owners of Star Song at the time, uh, one of them was Daryl Harris. He, um, they, they came to Vancouver, they were based out of Texas at the time, and, you know, wind and, and we did a little concert. And I mean, it was just so personal and so invested, it felt like they were investing in us. And that was way more the reason than, um, than anything else. Uh, capital, I mean, we wouldn't have done anything different as far as music goes. Okay, that's what with I was a, trying to figure Yeah, with a regular label, we would have just, man, just done what we do.
0: Okay, okay. That's what I was trying to figure out because the way <laughs> you said it, it sounded like you were going to have to, like, make a, like, draw a line in the sand. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. No.
1: So I was no, so, so remember, we just played a year of clubs where there was no religion right? in the story uh, and none really even. So that was an issue for us. Okay. All right. Other than personally, and, you know, each of the guys in the band have a different story as far as their own spirituality and uh, how that journey goes. Mine's different than others. And so, I, I mean, I can't tell other people's stories, but.
0: Sure. So it sounds like you dealt with the same things that most of the bands deal with today still you're walking that line. You're like, okay, I'm in the world and I'm trying not to be of the world, or maybe you're not trying to be of the world or in the world. You know what I'm saying? Um, how difficult was that?
1: Um, that's a, you know, that's a really good question. And, um, I, I think, you know, I would say playing clubs, without a lot of support, you know, if we would have had good support, I think from our church, it would have been a different story, but playing clubs without support, I mean, it, you just feel like you're isolated in an Island. And, you know, we, we had no time to be part of faith community during that time. Um, and it was not good for me personally, spiritually. And so uh, that was difficult. Um, it was hard to be judged but So this is a funny thing that happened. One time we played a gig and somebody showed up. It was in a bar and somebody showed up and they really kind of were looking for something to criticize. And so they showed up and they wrote this long letter after and the letter handwritten, I think four pages, and it was condemning what we did and using all kinds of the Bible to do it. And, and that was fine. Well, one of our guys, like some of our crew and some of our players even weren't believers, weren't followers of Jesus. So Um, we were all reading it and then had to explain to them what the issues were because they didn't even understand them. But at one point the person who was writing the letter accused us of absurd gyrations. So those are rock moves that you do, you know, and some of the guys and especially the not church guys, they were so excited about that because that's what they said about Elvis absurd gyrations. That was the exact words. And so they felt like this is our key to success. You know, we're going to be able to, uh, this is good. Criticism is good, and so at that time we didn't see the the difficulties we were getting from the church necessarily as a problem. Uh, it was a problem later for me because I kind of reentered church work, and then some of that stuff comes back. But at the time, you know, we were we we're kind of rough around the edges, formerly squeaky clean Bible college boys playing in bars, and and we just yeah, was, who cares? Who cares if people criticize? Um, right. You know, not a, not a particularly mature approach, but um, I don't think it bothered it bothered us enough that you heard in, I think, I assume, you know, the song living in the world um, from the decent B record. So it influenced enough that I think that, you know, that song was, was um, created out of those criticisms.
0: Okay.
1: And, um, Yeah, that's, uh, so there was enough influence, enough pain. But generally, you know, we're kind of like, man, who cares?
0: (laughs) So Christian, you're in the Christian market. You're on Star Song. Did you, was there like a, it sounds like there was a little bit of a conscious effort to be a certain thing. Like he wanted to add another keyboard Obviously, there was some type of aim, you know, we want to get a little more new wave oriented or uh, radio, new wave rock, whatever you want to call it. Um, Did you guys concentrate on that or was it, I mean, did you, were you of that world? I mean, what were you listening to at that point?
1: Yeah. Um a lot of a lot of the answer to that is what we were playing. So in, in clubs, in dance clubs, we were play we chose keyboard-oriented covers. Uh, and not not totally. I I learned how to play bass in bars. I never played bass before and and you know, we just had to do some things that were like some standards, um, Rolling Stones, Beatles, some stuff from the fifties even that we just we kind of turned them into a little more techno of a feel but um so we we played songs from bands like ultravox which you probably you've heard of ultravox oh i know who they are yeah cool so yeah. we did a couple of songs uh, one was sleepwalk and the other was stood still and of course playing in remote uh locations in say in northern bc in canada nobody knows what that is so um so we intentionally did that. Uh, sometimes we actually got fired from places because we didn't play Bob Seeger and whatever. But um, that was definitely intentional. Um, i I don't think we would have ever used the word "new wave," maybe with the with the breakaway record we would have, but not after that. and uh, I, I've heard people call us techno," maybe the you know the, one of the first Christian techno things. Maybe that's a little bit more accurate. Uh, it was just the beginning of digital. So we were still using analog keyboards and, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know how else to say it other than, you know, that that's kind of where we were going. And there were influences by some, some bands that weren't exactly that. I, um, Roxy Music, I think was a big influencer. Uh, Some of Peter Gabriel's stuff, maybe. Um, anyway, uh, the, the intent was to move toward a musical style way more than to move toward a content style or lyrical style or anything like that.
0: Okay. Okay. So what was it like being on a label like star song back then and being, being a Kurt like playing. Cause I mean, when I look back at CCM music, Christian contemporary Christian music, Most of it seemed like it was behind, but you guys for the time were like right on the money. And how was that? I mean, what was, what was that like to actually be on the money and not trying to play catch up? Uh,
1: Yeah. I mean, that's a comp, that's a compliment. Thank you for that. Um, I think there are a few reasons. One is we're Canadian. And in Canada, there just isn't a Christian music industry. Right. There wasn't at the time, and there really isn't much of one now. So uh, the idea of being a Christian musician as opposed to a not Christian musician wasn't nearly as big a thing as it was in the U.S., even then, and I think still is. So uh, I remember once we played at a band from Sweden called Jerusalem. Oh, yeah fun guys, long hair guys, you know, really interesting, really interesting guys. And because we were Canadian, they were Swedish. They they asked questions like, so help us understand this idea of Christian music. You know, what is that? Because isn't music just music? And don't you just play music and then, and then you're done? And what's with this that it has to somehow be Christian? And I think we felt some of the same confusion. Uh, you know, we're just playing music. And so I remember playing in I think it I'll I won't say where it was in Southern California where, you know, we didn't, we weren't Christian enough. And that was hard for us to get. We we were just playing music and you know, how do you, how do you do that in a Christian way? It wasn't very familiar to us as Canadians. Uh Star Song never put any pressure on us to do that. In fact, they were, very encouraging you. They, they were using the term crossover at the time, you know, and they wanted us to get on regular radio and, and we did, you know, especially not so much in the U S but in Europe, we were on regular radio when Europe, they don't, it wasn't Christian industry like in the U S. So I think that's a big part of it is that we were uh, not U S we didn't have that in our bones um, and we played clubs for a, a year. And so, you know, we were used to playing regular music. Um, and, uh, and we had really good support from the record label. I, I'm, uh, I didn't have connection with Daryl Harris from star song for years, but about, uh, 20 years ago, we reconnected and are very close friends now, you know, so, and, and I know a little bit more about what's happening with star song then too, which was, they, that's a story that they can tell, um, but they definitely weren't pushing us to do Christian-y stuff. The only place we got that was, so Petra was signed at the time. And uh, one time we were hanging out with the, the guys from Petra for some reason. I think our label asked us to do that. And they were coaching us, not in the way I coach. This is in the telling way of coaching, that right. we needed to put more of Jesus in our songs because we, you know, we weren't going to be successful unless we put more Jesus in. And we kind of would scratch our heads at that and say, I don't think that's a thing, <laughs> but for, for them, it really was.
0: Right. Right. And unfortunately, or some people would say, fortunately it is a thing. Definitely here. It is yeah. um, just working because I've worked on in the background and in the front ground. Um, And yeah, there's definitely a pressure to do a certain thing or there was, It's not so much anymore, Um, but there definitely was at that. Why I I know what you're saying
1: at that time. I wouldn't. I mean, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Um, You you write about what you write about. So I've done quite. Most of my recordings have been way more overtly Christian than the quick flight stuff. Um, I think it's a problem when it becomes an artistic compromise. You know, so it really just becomes kitschy. You know, you're, you're really just trying to sell stuff. Sure. Or, or it's, it really isn't faithful to uh, what I would say is the, the truth of the gospel. And, right. uh, you know, that's tickling people's ears, giving them what they want to hear. To me that, you know, to say, well, you got to add this kind of content to your song so you can sell more. I think that's actually a pretty significant problem. In, oh, that's a big problem today especially in stuff people call worship and i i mean I, my doctorate is in theology of worship so i well i don't use that word to talk about music
0: <laughs> right right
1: um, another, another story
0: <laughs> so you guys you, you were doing the clubs did you you guys moved into doing you were, did you ever play churches? Did you kind of uh, graduate into that or? Uh, uh,
1: so I'm just going to say not well. Um, <laughs> so quick flight did play some churches before my time, okay. but, okay. but, uh, and some of the songs on the breakaway record were way more overt and kind of Christianly in your face, Um uh, especially like a song like Atheist, you know. I mean, that's that's really in your face from a Christian perspective, right? And and that went over well in some places. Uh, so Quick Flight did some gigs with Servant, who uh, I know some of the guys from Servant since long since the band ended, good friends with some of them. But you know, that was uh, that worked okay. I remember Quick Flight played a a gig at a, at a kind of like a state fair, but it was in Canada. So it was something, it was an exhibition in Edmonton, uh, Alberta, and they were just playing, you know, in a booth and it was for a church. But the idea was that you're going to get this edgy sounding stuff and then you're going to attract people and probably save them by doing that. Uh, so, so that happened. Uh, I remember one time we played a church, we played, we played churches sometimes, but one time we played a church in, uh, when I was playing with the band and um, our, one of our tech guys thought we need some atmosphere. And so, you know, we were playing bars then and at that time in Canada, you could smoke in a bar. You can't anymore. So there was always this haze and it was just a, a feel. And so here we are playing in a church and just had no feel. And so one of our right. tech guys said, well, we need some smoke. And so he did a flash pot of some type and it too much. And the place was just thick with smoke and, Oh, it was horrible. Uh, I literally couldn't see across the stage and we're doing our thing. Well, next thing you know, the elders from the church show up and they're, you know, they confronted us and said, what have you done here? You know, you brought the devil into our church. And a lot of it was the smoke and it was a Baptist church. They just didn't. And I think they were pretty convinced that we would swear at them because that's, you know, that's what they felt. And we had a bit of a reputation because we played clubs and And so my response was, well, you know, let's, let's pray about this. Let's try to figure this out. And their jaws kind of fell on the floor and they didn't know what to do at that point. (laughs) They would have been more comfortable with me swearing at them. But uh, that, you know, that, that was a little bit more consistent with how we did churches. Like I say, not that well, right? uh, Because, because churches really wanted a clear message.
0: So where did you guys find yourself playing when the second record came out.
1: Yeah, um, mostly festivals, universities—you know, like rooms in universities, uh, community halls, stuff like that—and they were typically promoted by Christian promoters, um, and that was always a little bit of tension. because and wanted something else, but um, yeah, we played a ton of festivals, and who was pretty uh, fun.
0: Who would you play with? that would like kind of be in your wheelhouse?
1: Um, Well, I don't think anybody we played with. So there were a few uh, bands that could have been kind of punk-ish. So I don't know if you remember the band Undercover. Oh, yes. Uh, Played played with them a few times. Great guys. Uh, I could tell a good story about that, but I won't. um, Of course, Steve Taylor. I played with Steve, but, but Quick Flight toured with Steve. And Steve was not like us, but a little bit similar, right a little bit of a feel of something, uh, a little more focus on content uh, mm-hmm. or you know the Christian content than us um, and uh, Resban played with those guys a number of times um, yeah I don't know yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh, one of the, one of the great stories. Uh, which if you've seen any video of quick flight on youtube there's only one concert that ever made it onto youtube and that was one in los angeles and that was where we played with Kerry lefgren at the end of the night and um he wasn't billed because of record deal issues so he wasn't really public um but i grew up listening to kansas i mean this is big deal to be able to play on the same show with the guy like him and right. of course they they were rich and uh, each guy had his own roadie and you know i mean it was a totally different world <laughs> from our world but um the crowd was there really to see bands like us and uh, by the time the the good band was on people left and there was about two thousand people left at the end of that and i remember standing at the back of this football stadium watching people leave and thinking you know this is the good band you know that's playing but i just wasn't on the radar for that crowd they were looking for more stuff like what we were doing Uh, but there i don't i can't think of anybody who was similar to us that we played with
0: okay all right um where so what happened to end the band or did it really end? Did it just kind of peter out? Or I mean, how did that kind of go?
1: Um, no, it ended. Um, I can, I'll tell my story of that. Uh, and I I just want to be really careful. I um, like, I had the privilege of working with, I think one of the most brilliant writer producers there ever was. And that's Rick DeGroote for sure. in Christian music. And uh, Rick, Rick just really is a gifted guy. And Um, So Rick and I parted ways at that point. And I mean, we have connected since and we grew up together. I know his family really well. We still have that kind of stuff. But uh, I just, I'm not telling Rick's story here. Um, uh, I was, remember I was working at this camp, right? And at one point I'd connected with our management. So that was Barry Samuels, our agent, which is Mike Cavelli, and the record label, Uh, which would have been Daryl and Wayne. And I said, you know, I'd like to give my summer to this camp. Is it possible that we won't be touring this summer? And, you know, can I do this? And there was a resounding, all of them said, yeah, we're not, no tours planned this summer. I said, great. So I committed to this camp for the summer. And uh, I think it was July 20th, guessing I got a call and the call and the person said, uh, "We got some, a whole bunch of dates with you two in Europe, and pack your bags. You know, we're in Amsterdam on Thursday." And uh, that was really a, a crisis <clears throat> for me because I just took that commitment to that camp pretty seriously. And so, I my response was, "Well, I I I can't do that. I've made a commitment to this camp, and I I, don't, I can't let them down." And that was basically the end of my music career. Um, you you can't do that. You you know you need to be willing to drop everything and go. When, especially that was a big deal for us to do those gigs, those dates. Uh, Quick Flight never played again after that.
0: Oh wow. Okay. Yeah.
1: So uh, lo- a few reasons. I think you know difference in spiritual direction that guys in the band had. Um, Rick actually had an opportunity to play with another band that was quite a bit bigger than Quick Flight. Um, they did a tour with Tina Turner and. Um, at the time, was you know pretty big stuff. So that he went on to that, and that was good for him. Um, not and what so year?
0: So what year was the U two thing?
1: That would have been in uh, summer '84. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Wow. And and I don't even know what I don't even know what the deal was with that. That was just the what I heard was you know we're, we have some dates with U two could have been festivals. Could I don't know what it was. Uh, you know, maybe they were opening for us. I don't know. You know, right? That was supposed wow. to be that was supposed to be funny.
0: Yeah, but, no, it, well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I what they were that would have been the unforgettable fire, right? Eighty four. They were for, huge.
1: They were huge. I mean, we yeah. played you you two stuff in clubs when they were not as huge, but no, they were they were big. So stuff. they were
0: already big by then. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I mean, perspective, uh, I've, I've told that story to people and they say, wow, you know, you really missed out on an amazing <laughs> opportunity. And my response, well, I've never regretted that. My response was actually, I got, I, I felt like I got to invest in something that was really important. Uh, and it was of eternal value. And that oh. was the the relationship stuff and community that was big deal. Now, just so you know, too, um, I am wired quite strongly as an introvert and, Uh, I was horrible on the road. (laughs) Touring was terrible for me and I had no idea at the time what were the reasons. I didn't know that I was an introvert. I just knew that I I was falling apart, especially, you know, doing, probably the worst was doing those 200 dates, me and the actor. Um, I mean, it just was insane and I was wrecked. And so um, it wasn't really great for me to tour anyway. Right. Um so it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't just me having a higher calling. That was part of it, but or feeling a higher calling. It was a lot of different factors. Just so happens that I met my wife the day after the last concert we did is quick flight, which is the one that's on YouTube. It never played after that.
0: Oh, that's the last one. Yep. Oh, wow. Okay. And,
1: and I was in, eh, I think June maybe of that year. And I met my wife the next day at this camp and she was working at the camp and Uh, We did. There you go, man. I know, and and we weren't uh, involved romantically when I said no to the to the Europe stuff that came later. But but it was pretty important to me not to marry somebody who might have been enamored with somebody who's a rock star.
0: Sure, (laughs) right. I get what you're saying. Yeah. Well, I've got some um, fun questions. They're fun for me. I don't know if they'll be fun for you. Um, who, who would you say is your go-to musician or band? Who do you like? If you were to pick one band that you just love, who would it be?
1: Uh, hmm. Almost impossible. I still, I still love the Avalon record by Roxy Music.
0: Excellent. Okay. Okay. All right.
1: That's a long ago, but I have to, I have to confess, I'm a James Taylor fan. So not a a band, but uh, (laughs) not really stylistically what what I've ever played.
0: (laughs) Right. Right. No, that's fine. That's fine. Um, if you have you, uh, let me get my little list. I I don't want to forget anything. um, what would you say is somebody that you listen to now? Do you listen to any music now? Like, like popular, I guess, whatever you want to call it.
1: Yeah. Uh, um,
0: like who's somebody that you can think of right now that you like right now?
1: This could be controversial for a guy who's a, been a pastor much of my life. I really like Billy Eilich. Uh, I think brilliant, creative work. I love the simplicity of doing work in your house. Uh, I mean, I do that now too because I have time. Um, love that. Um, hmm. My son-in-law has a band called the Elephant Seal Song Company. Check that out. Okay. Okay. Yeah.
0: What I've, would you consider that to be like stylistically? Uh,
1: Yeah, alternative, uh, artistic, loud, uh, you know, six-minute songs. Oh,
0: whoa, okay.
1: I got to sing on one of them.
0: Oh, cool, okay, all right. (laughs) Yeah. All right, what are they called?
1: The Elephant Seal Song Company.
0: Okay, all
1: right. Just Google that, not too many of those up there.
0: Okay, all right. (laughs) Um, Do you have a favorite superhero?
1: Like Superman type superhero?
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) Um, Only because one of my grandson loves him. Maybe Captain America.
0: Cool. Okay. All right. All right. Um, If you had to choose one movie or television show that you could watch, what would it be?
1: Hmm. So Christopher Walken movie that was terrifying and fascinating to me many, many years ago called brainstorm. Mm-hmm. So I'll go. Okay. I, I don't watch that kind of movies these days because my wife wouldn't enjoy them, but I'll go with that.
0: what, what about that fascinated you?
1: Um. So, you know, uh, well, the story is they invent a way to basically record brain waves and then play them back so you can put stuff on your head and experience someone else's thoughts. Mm-hmm. Eventually, eventually uh, they decide they want to experience what death feels like. And so uh, they record and then they try to live it. And part of it will that person die or not? So just fascinating. Um, Christopher Walken has done some stuff and. I don't think I'm a particularly dark person, but I just found that. I love science, and so I found that really interesting. Okay,
0: all right. Is there anything recent that piques your interest science fiction-wise? Because I'm a big sci-fi guy, too.
1: Yeah, uh, Ex Machina.
0: Okay. Um,
1: my wife and I watched The 100 on Netflix for a mm-hmm. while, but it just got too too, too violent. <laughs> okay, right, right. Yeah. Okay.
0: Okay. Cool. Um, All right. Yeah. Um, I, I, I guess we're kind of going backwards with this one, but obviously you consider yourself to be a religious person or a Christian, um, and that has affected your career choices. You would say, obviously. Yep. Okay. Does it affect the music that you do
1: today? Yes. Yeah, so. Um... I did a series of songs uh, old songs for Lent this year, mm-hmm. um, five or six of them I think, and uh they were mostly hymns that I converted into a darker minor feel um, and but they're hymns, so um be still my soul that's an old one. Um, I did the actual tune that's associated with some hymn books for jesus lover of my soul um i did a minor dark version of "It Is well with my soul uh probably musically not that well but that fits with kind of where i'm at so yeah it definitely influences that uh doesn't have to for me so i don't feel any pressure or need to, to write about faith um
0: so when you say that it's a darker take on those hymns or on those older songs, is it the instruments you use or is it just the tone that you approach it? Like, is it keyboard oriented? Like what sort of... Um,
1: yeah, you can hear it. uh I, I put them on SoundCloud. They're easy to get a hold of. Okay, cool. Listen. Okay, great. Um, but so it is well with my soul, you know, the, like the, the more common, it is well, it is well with my soul, very kind of triumphant. It was, it is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. So a little bit more pentatonic, a little bit more, um, well, minor. Okay. And those usually carry a bit more of a sense of, not bright and cheery, not okay. happy. Yeah, and and I I didn't use a lot of, I mean I I use more typical instruments. Just so happens I use drums out of a machine, but they sound like drums. Okay. Uh, and most of it most of it is an actual bass guitar or an actual guitar. So it's not like Quick Flight actually had almost none of that kind of stuff. Right. Right. Um, so so it's not really techno, but it it is out of keyboards and it's done by me in my basement. So
0: okay. okay. Um so yeah, so you're not saying that it's like Peter Murphy or the Bauhaus um or the cure. No. <laughs> it's not it's not dark in that way. It's just like a little bit it's less pippy.
1: Yeah, if somebody were to somebody who loves and their their favorite hymn is "It Is Well with My Soul." They might say, "The music of this version you've done does not communicate that it's well with your soul."
0: <laughs> okay, it
1: communi- right. communicates that maybe you're a little sad,
0: right? Maybe you're trying to talk yourself into it.
1: Yeah, or what I would say is, "My soul is well in dark times."
0: Very good, excellent. Okay. Yeah. Um. One last question. What would, what would you, what kind of advice would you give people these days that are doing music um, and trying to balance the religion with the music? As somebody who experienced that and try, you know, live through it.
1: Yeah. Uh, uh, the first thing I would say is know yourself, understand yourself, know, you know, self-awareness is, uh, is <laughs> really important in answering that question, because that will help you know what the next thing is, and that is to know what's expected of you. So that this is true in everything, you get a job, it's important to know who you are and what the person expects of you in that job, whether it's in a church or your bricklayer or whatever. Uh, That's same with the music industry. And so if your ideal is to express yourself, which is an artistic value, and you're working with people or in contexts where it's not about self-expression, it's actually about either communicating a specific message or maybe focusing on God. If you're focusing on God, that's actually not about self-expression. I think understanding yourself and the expectations on you are really, really important because if they don 't match, you will be frustrated, and that 's true in life right so you get a job and you think this is what they 're hiring me to do, and this is what I can do and i 'm good at this, and you find out part way in they actually don 't want you to do that they want you to do something else, oh, and yeah. you don 't even, even know if you 're good at it right so to me that 's really important in in the music world, um, so knowing yourself. Like for me, learning that I'm an introvert. That's pretty important to know. Uh, because, <laughs> right. because otherwise, you're going you're gonna to have trouble. Um, and, uh, and knowing what's expected of you. And to, if those line up, you will have a far better experience than if they don't. Cool. It doesn't mean they can't line Like you can actually still do stuff when they don't line up. We all do. We all work in places where, oh, they're expecting something different than what I thought or what I have to offer. But I'm still going to do it. I'm still going to be faithful to it. I'm still going to persevere with it. Um, But it's so important to know. So you know what you're getting into. I think that's the big one. You know, people need to obviously be good at what they do. You you know, don't like be a good worker, (laughs) do a good job, play well, whatever you need to do, do that. Uh, But I'd say beyond that, know yourself, know your expectations.
0: What, um, do you have anything that you'd like to promote for yourself now that you're doing?
1: Um, no, I'm too old. Or any, any,
0: anything that would matter to the people that list that follow me.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, I did look at a bit of the stuff that you, uh, kind of focus on and work with and I'm probably way too light and nice for your crowd. (laughs) Uh, I have friends who do death metal. A good friend who does symphonic death metal and I'm find his stuff really interesting, but it's not me. Right. Um, so uh, I don't know, but on the other hand, yeah, like, I mean, I do have some, I do have records. I have, I have a record that's all designed to be corporate song for the church. So people call it worship music. Uh, it's very, very uh, nice, kind, gentle. you could, play that stuff in any church in North America, I think. Right. Uh, And I have stuff that's far more raw that uh, most of my church friends don't like. um, That's, I think, better expression of, of myself. So I've been really fortunate to be able to do a lot of different stuff in my life, musically, career wise and all of that. And so who knows, maybe, maybe listen to the SoundCloud stuff and tell me what you think.
0: Oh, I definitely will. Is it under your name?
1: yeah I could yeah. send you the, I'll I'll send you the link too
0: yeah yeah send me a link to it so I can check it out definitely but hey listen I to I really appreciate you taking the time um